Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. How many of you have had a pumpkin spice latte already? Anybody? I had mine this week. It was really good. Um, And I ate pumpkin pie this weekend, so it's pumpkin season. If you are visiting here, you're a special guest. I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ, and we're just so glad you're here. This, this week is um, interesting because we're finishing Acts, and it's kind of bittersweet for me. We've been in this series um, about two years, calendar years. This is message number 69, so it's kind of like, oh, we're finishing Acts today, but it's it's exciting. And uh, after the service, we're having an axe party. You're like, what is that? I don't know. We're, we're trying to figure it out as we go. We've never done this. But because we spent two years in the book, we're going to have a reception afterward. And we're going to, those index cards you guys were given is to write down your favorite verse or memory or thought from the series. Some of you, it may be the snake, shake it off, right? Shake, shake it off. Uh, some of you have been saying that this week. Um, so we're going to have that right after that. So for those of you who are going to the baby shower, you'll just drop in for a few minutes and then Renee's baby shower will be in the fellowship hall. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will prepare our hearts for his word. Father, thank you so much that we are here gathered in your presence. God, as Pastor Joe mentioned, we just acknowledge 9-11 and what our country's been through and we pray for your continued peace and your healing for those affected by this. God, we, we remember... Uh, the royal family, as uh, Queen Elizabeth passed, that you would just be with her family. I know they're going through a lot in England and abroad as they, they spend this time mourning great loss. So, Lord, we ask and pray that you would bless this time as we study your word, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And we just want to tell you we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, out of curiosity, are there any tennis fans in the room? Tennis players? All right, we got a few, mostly ladies in the first service. Well, there was a finish line for a lot of different th- events in history to th- this week. And we mentioned Queen Elizabeth finishing 70 years of service. But we also, on a lighter note, Serena Williams retired this week. And uh, some of you have watched her career. She became pro at 14 years old. And, uh, she just, her, 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 her storied life, so many ups and downs. Um, just want to read a few quotes about her life, um, a few highlights. She had 23 Grand Slam championships. Now think about that, 23. She spent 319 weeks at number one in the world for women's tennis. Think about that, 319 weeks. Most of us would be thankful just to get one week at number one, right? So at the age of 40, she decides to step off the scene, and it's the finish line for her career, but not for her life. She has family. She has a lot of endeavors to come. And I wanted to bring her life as an example of a finish line. And all of you here today, there's a finish line of God's call in your life. Now, I'm not talking about when you die and go to be with him. I'm talking about his calling. Everyone is created with a purpose You're created on purpose and with a purpose. So what I want to do is a little different as we close Acts, message number 69. 
We want to close with the Apostle Paul reaching the finish line of his ministry all the way from Jerusalem to Rome, finally in Rome. And he's going to reach the finish line of that call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So as we read the scripture, I want to pretend that Paul is with us. Imagine if Paul was with us today and he were to say, what does it look like at the finish line of your calling? So what we want to do is draw some devotional applications in this sermon, some principles that were true of Paul, but also transfer to you. What does it look like as you reach for the finish line? So let's start in Acts chapter 28. We pick up in verse 11. For those of you who weren't with us last week, Paul survived the storm, he survived the shipwreck, and he survived the snake bite. So we pick up in verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island, and landed at Syracuse. We stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. After one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Putili, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, we, when the brethren heard about us, they met us as far as the Appii Forum and the Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, now let's just pause there. Can you imagine what Paul must have felt? Two years of Caesarea, um, he had survived um, all these different trials. I mean, think about it. He got through Festus, he got through Agrippa, he got through Felix, not the cat, but the governor. He survived a storm, he survived a shipwreck, he survived the snake bite. And all along, God had told him, I'm going to keep you alive until you make it to Rome and you're going to be a witness before Caesar. So finally they arrive in Rome. And the centurion, verse 16, delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So this was a form of house arrest. You know, like where you get to stay in a separate, it's not the common prison, but it's in a house, but there's a guard chained to him. Verse 17, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had done anything of which to accuse my nation, for this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with his chain. When they said to him, we had we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoke any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, which we know that it's spoken against everywhere. So if we go to verse 23, you have Paul meeting with a group of non-Christian Jews. And in this day, Rome was a really huge city. This was the center of the civilized world. Think about combining like New York City and London and some of the major cities together into one. That was, that was what Rome was. So Paul is meeting with some of the Jewish brethren, not non-believers, but Jewish um, countrymen that, you know, was related to him through nationality. 
And they said, Paul, we haven't heard anything about you bad or good, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's fascinating. As famous as Paul is in Jerusalem, Judea, those area, the, the Jews in Rome had never heard about Paul. So I find that fascinating. So continue on in verse 23. So when they had pointed him a day, many came to Paul at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Now notice this phrase, from morning till evening. So when you think I'm long-winded, Paul preached 10 to 12 hours, okay? So you get restless after 30 minutes. Think about that from morning to evening. Verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet to her father, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their eyes are hard, their ears of hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts in turn. And so I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and a great dispute broke out among them. Now, the last two verses of Acts, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. May God bless his word. So what I want to do is present this as kind of a devotional message as we close Acts What does it look like as you near the finish line? If Paul were to be with us today and he would give you applications from his own journey, what was true of him that could apply to you? So the first truth is this. These these are four motivation truths that I want you guys to be inspired by from God's word. The first one is this. There will be many twists and turns along the way to the finish line. There'll be many twists and turns. So let's throw the map up. We're going to see Paul... This is from Malta all the way up to Rome. We're going to see how he hit some of these different areas. And I'm going to hit a few of these. Uh, Syracuse, uh, this is an important city on the island of Sicily. And according to MacArthur, I hadn't heard this before, but he said one church tradition holds that while Paul was there for three days, he started up a church. Now, we don't know whether that's correct or not, but that's one history. It wouldn't surprise me if Paul did <laughs> during his three-day um, there. Uh, Regium, this is the harbor on the southern tip of the Italian mainland. So you, you see Paul going up north to Regium. Putili, this is located on the Bay of Naples near Pompeii. Has anybody here been to Pompeii before? All right, several of you. I, I heard, I'm a big NBA fan, I heard NBA players, when they get knocked out of the playoffs, they go to Pompeii. So that's on my hit. You ready to go to Pompeii, maybe for 15th anniversary? I don't know. So they go to Pompeii and they're they're hanging out there. Now, what's interesting, if you notice in verse 14, it says they found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went to Rome. So here's the question. Where did these believers come from? Because Paul had never been to Rome and all of a sudden there are Christians in Rome. Where where did these believers come from if Paul had never been there? 
It goes back to Acts on the day of Pentecost. You remember there are believers, there are the Jews from all around the world at that point. And when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, people got saved and they went back to their native areas, their native lands. And part of that includes Rome. So that's kind of where that that is. And to summarize the book of Acts, it's basically the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the world over 30 plus years. So that's kind of the summary of the acts of the Holy Spirit. So what, what's fascinating about that is Paul comes and there's already believers there. And that shows you that the gospel is bigger than any one leader. Leaders come and leaders go, but God remains the same. Church leaders come on the scene, church leaders go off the scene, but the gospel still gets out. It was a very sad day when Billy Graham passed away. Many of you can remember that week and that day. And what, what's, what, what a lot of people feared is what's going to happen when Billy Graham dies. What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to Christianity? The same is true with Billy Graham as with Paul is the gospel is bigger than any one leader. So people will come and people will go, but the gospel remains the same. So here you have believers and they come and they encourage Paul. And in the twists and turns of life, I just want to encourage you that God is faithful. So whenever you're high on the mountaintops, you discover that God is a God of provision and abundance and you experience his sunlight. When you're lying low in the valley, you discover that God is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the friend who will never leave you or forsake you. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the one that's with you lying low in the valley. So in the high mountaintops and in the low valleys, in the twists and turns of life, what Paul discovered and what you can rediscover is that God will be with you in the highs and in the lows. Amen. Motivating truth number two, as we reach towards the finish line is God will send encouragement to you along the way. So when you look at verses 15 and 16, I want you to turn back in your scripture. It says, from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appii Forum and the three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So let's throw the map back up here. So if you'll notice the Appii Forum, keep going north. If you look at the distance between that to Rome, it's about 43 miles, okay? And then when you look at the three taverns, that's 33 miles. So I want you to think about in the days when people walked or got around on donkey or different animals. 43 miles is a long trek. So here's the picture. Paul has survived the storm. He survived the shipwreck. He survived the snake bite. I'm sure he's a little weary and discouraged. And as Paul is heading towards Rome... There's people that spent days traveling to meet him. It's like the welcome that a king or a royalty or someone of nobility would receive. Here you have Paul, this small little guy. You guys remember from, I mentioned from church history, he's small, he, he's bow-legged. Some people think he's partially blind, probably walking with a limp. He's scarred and he's got a unibrow, okay? <laughs> he's, he's walking and all of a sudden he sees this group of believers coming to him. And it's like, welcome, Paul. And what I want to encourage you is that when you're really discouraged, God has a way of sending others to encourage you. It's that text message you get late in the night, you see the next morning, I'm praying for you. It's that phone call. I don't know what it is. God had you on my heart of this day. 
and I, I meant to call you and you're like, how did you know? But here's the question. What do you do when there's no one to encourage you? What do you do when there's not an entourage of believers to say, we're praying for you, rooting you on? What do you do when you're depressed? What do you do in those dark nights of the soul when you want to give up and there's no one around to encourage you? Well, it goes back to a story in the Old Testament of David. He had a lot of trials and he was staying at a place where there was a village and basically the people around him and he went with his warriors to go do what warriors do, exploring and, you know, probably conquering lands. And when he came back, what happened was the women and children were kidnapped and he was so discouraged and the men were so discouraged. They talked about stoning him. So it's first Samuel 30. It says David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But listen to this phrase. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Another translation, David encouraged himself in the Lord. So here's the thing. When you don't have an entourage of people to encourage you, when you feel alone, depressed or discouraged, you've got to learn the art of self-encouragement in the Lord. You've got to learn to encourage yourself. So what do you do when no one's there to encourage you? You encourage yourself in the Lord. And you're like, how do you do that? So I want to, maybe this is a new concept for some of you, but it's the art of self-encouragement in the Lord. On your listening guide, there's five simple tips on how to do this. The first tip is talk to God often. When it seems like no one's around, no one's near, God's always present. So if you want to encourage yourself in the Lord, talk to God. I've heard of people having an empty chair in the room and they they picture God being there, that God is with them and they talk to God. Second application is treasure scripture verses that are a source of encouragement for you. So no matter what you're going through, there's a verse that applies to that. So if you're depressed, there's verses like Psalm 30, verse five, weeping may endure for a night. But what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. You may be lacking financial provision and you've done God's work and you've you've made his kingdom your first priority. And you see verses like Matthew six thirty three, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Or you see verses like Paul in Philippians. He said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So whatever problem you're going through. You get the scripture verse and you claim it. God, I've been seeking first your kingdom. And you, you said you would take care of my needs. Another application is surround yourself with godly, positive people. You've heard the saying that misery loves company. But after you hang out with miserable people, does it encourage you at all? Like you have this pity party, right? And you complain and gripe. But do you feel better after that? Some of you are like, yes. But it doesn't last very long, right? So here's what I want you to do is find godly people that will encourage you. Now, I'm not saying you push all the negative people out of your life. You need to minister to them, too. But when you're down, you need to be around others that will pick you up, lift you up and encourage you. And another application you can look at is practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're like, what is that? Ask the first service. Have you ever heard that? Not a single person had heard that. Some of you have. Some of you have not. But it comes from this guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk in a monastery. And he got to the point in his life where everything he did was for the glory of God. Even something as simple as picking up a piece of trash. He would say to himself, like, I'm doing this to beautify God's creation. Things like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything he did was an act of worship. So what would happen even in your darkest days 
that you realize in all the circumstances, God's working everything together for good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. So practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit is acknowledging that God is with you and he's sovereign. And sometimes the delays, they can seem like God's denials, but God's delays are not his denials. Sometimes God's delaying something because he's got a purpose. I'm talking to someone that's single here today or single again, and you're lonely. Like you go home at night and there's no one there and you're lonely and you're like, God, I'm still waiting for Mr. Right. What's going on? And what you got to do is just trust him. Practice the presence of God. God is with you even when you feel like there's no one with you. He's there. And we will learn last week when the snake bites, what do you do? Shake it off. Shake, shake, shake it off. Someone needs to develop a rap song by that. So, you know, so think about it. Things are going to happen. You're going to get discouraged. So think about David. He encouraged himself in the Lord. So when you're discouraged and there's no one else to encourage you, Paul had this band of believers. But think about how many times Paul was alone. Think about those times where he didn't have an entourage. Think about those two years in Caesarea. Think about the times where there was like nobody. And we see in the book of Second Timothy, he's like, Demas has forsaken me. There are times where Paul felt alone. And during those times, you've got to practice encouraging yourself in the Lord. All right. Motivational truth number three as we reach the finish line. As you reach the finish line, your sense of gospel urgency grows even stronger. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass after three days. Someone say three days. See, Paul, he had survived all these things. The storm, the shipwreck, the snake bite. Most of us have been like, you know, I'm going to go back to Pompeii, that that little place that has passed by. I'm going to go back there and rest a little while. I'll be under house arrest, Martha Stewart edition in Pompeii. I'm just going to enjoy myself, right? But Paul's like, he after three days of getting to Rome, he calls these Jewish leaders together. And he begins to share Jesus with them. And if you look at verses 17 through 29, I wish we had time to go in every nuance But basically, he told the Jewish leaders, I'm innocent. And the reason why I have these chains, verse 20, is because of my hope in the Messiah. And he said, listen, I'm not in trial because I have something against the Jewish people. I'm on trial defending myself. I'm here because of my hope in the Messiah. And you notice he spent from morning till evening, that's 10 to 12 hours, having a discussion, a dialogue about the gospel. And I laugh because their American culture, after an hour, we're tapped out, right? Hour and a half. Think about 10, 12 hours in a Bible study, right? Brother David, wouldn't you love to have 12 hours to teach and the class engage? So they were engaging. And his message was, he took the law of Moses, he took the prophets, and he explained to them that Jesus is the Christ. So we're not told what scriptures he used. I would love to be a fly on the wall. I can imagine Psalm 22. David said, you have pierced my hands and feet. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. So when you look at the Old Testament prophecies, there are at least 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. So if someone doesn't believe the Bible, if you're here today, maybe you're agnostic or you're seeking out the truth, just look at the prophecies alone. There's over 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' birth. His life, his death and resurrection, at least 300. So Paul was taking these scriptures and showing them the truth. And notice their response. Some believed and some didn't believe. Some believed and some didn't believe. And it would be so easy for a lesser person to say, you know what? 
I'm going to compromise with you. In order to make it more palatable to you, let's compromise a few of these things that maybe disagree with so that you'll, you'll be willing to enter into Christianity. But Paul didn't do that, and neither should we. You see on the news a lot of denominations, I can't say a lot, but several denominations are having these council of churches. And they're bringing up moral issues, and some of them are changing their stances, or at least voting on changing their stances, about things like marriage and sexuality and the like. And here's the thing, when it comes to truth, we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise to get more people to believe. Because to to get to Jesus, you have to acknowledge, I'm a sinner and I I need salvation. To get to Jesus, you have to acknowledge that he's the only way. He's not one of many, he's the only way. So Paul did not compromise to get these Jewish leaders to believe. He told them the truth and told them in love. So when it comes to theology, let me give you this. It's bad grammar, but good theology. If it's new, it ain't true. If it's new, it ain't true. So if you have a church council that comes together and we've got this new way of defining marriage or we've got this new way of sexuality, if it's new, it's not true. Here's the thing. God invents truth. We only discover it. We cannot invent truth. We can only proclaim it. So we need to preach Jesus in love and love everyone. Everyone's welcome here. But at the same time, it's unloving not to give people the truth, right? So we're going to stand on the word. Amen. So Paul proclaims it. Notice the scripture. Some accept it. Some reject it. Now, what I want to encourage you is this. If they reject the message, they're not rejecting you. You're only a messenger. They are rejecting the Messiah, not you. Your job is to get the message out, and God's job is the response. It's kind of like the parable of the sowers, where Jesus said a farmer went out to sow, and he threw seed. Some fell on along the wayside. didn't really last. People trampled them. The birds got it. Some fell among thorns. The thorns choked it out. Some fell among stony ground. It, didn't, it was shallow. didn't really bear much fruit. It kind of withered away. And then some fell on good ground. So if you look at that, only 25% produce good fruit. And it'll be likely true for you. You get the gospel out, you sow the seed, some will fall on hard hearts, shallow hearts, thorny hearts. But listen, your job is not to determine the outcome. Your job is to sow the seed. And if only 25% accept it, that's not your job. That's God's job. Your job is to sow the seed. Amen. All right. And as we reach the finish line. Motivation, truth number four. As you see the finish line, God will often bring unexpected surprises to your door. And it's with great joy and a little bit of sorrow we hit the final two verses of Acts. Can you believe it? 69 sermons and now we're on the final two verses. Here we go. You guys ready? (laughs) All right. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So it brings the question, what did Paul do during this two years? Well, I think Paul did what he always did. He he presented the gospel. He tried to build up believers, probably was trying to start churches, even though he was housebound, he's probably was sending people out to plant new works. And notice his home base of operation was where? It was the home he was living in, right? So here's a very simple application. What would happen if you made your home your base of operation? What would happen if your home became a hub for gospel activity? Do you think you can make a difference? What do you guys think? I think so. It's almost like during Paul's life, 
He went on three missionary journeys prior to this. And he went from place to place preaching the world. He went to the world with the word. And now, as he reaches the finish line, it's almost as if God brought the world to his front door. (laughs) Right at his house, people are coming. So it brings the question, how would we do this, Timothy, if we were to make our home a hub of gospel activity? How would we do this? I'm glad you're asking that question. And if you're not, maybe you will ask that question. A few applications, this on your listening guide. Number one, get better at hospitality. I don't know about you, but this is an area I need to work on. Hospitality means love of strangers. How many of you are open to having people in your home on a last minute's notice? How many of you need like a two to four week reservation? (laughs) Something uh, Laura and I learned from a larger family. They said, if you want to see the home, we need a few weeks to clean it up. But if you want to see the family, you can come anytime. Are you here to see the house or are you here to see us? I think that's good. So I think if we made the home a base of operation, it'd be kind of like the early church where they met in the temple and they met house to house. I think another way we could do it is throw a Matthew party. You're like, a Matthew what? How many of you have heard of Matthew party? If you've been here longer than two years, you've heard that concept before. A Matthew party is the concept of when Levi the tax gatherer accepted Christ, he invited all of his lost, ungodly friends to his house, threw a party, and invited Jesus to come. So Matthew party is this. You invite all your unchurched neighbors and friends to your house, and you feed them, you love them, you have a great meal, you have a great time of fellowship. And at the end of it, you say something like, by the way, next week we're going to have a Bible study. We'd love for you to come back. So you build a bridge, and you help them realize that you're not that weird like they think you are because you're feeding them. And you're like, all right, I'll come back. So here's the thing. Throw a Matthew party. That's a thought. A third option is a Bible study. That's kind of like, hey, we can have Bible studies in the church, but we can also have them in homes because your neighbors are more likely to go in places where they feel comfortable. So notice how the book of Acts ends. Paul spent two years preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So, Two questions come to mind. Number one is what happened to Paul? Like, it doesn't say what happened. It's kind of like a, you know, cliffhanger, like Paul's there and like, okay, well, what happened to Paul? Some scholars say this happened around AD 62. And according to some of church history, this is not in the Bible, but church history, Paul was released. He, he was exonerated by Nero himself. So you can imagine Paul presenting the gospel to Nero. And kind of a side note, Nero was with it for a while, and then he eventually went insane, as history tells us. Nero was a musician, you know, he was talented, he was an athlete, so he was with it, and all of a sudden, he started losing his mind. So I would propose that when Paul talked to him, there's a good likelihood Nero was in his right mind, and he heard the gospel. Nero obviously did not accept the gospel at this point, because about two years later, the fires of Rome broke out. And you guys remember what Nero did? He blamed it on who? The Christians. So according to history, Nero, after he released Paul, he basically decided, I'm going to kill Paul now. And they brought Paul back to the Mamertine prison. Do we have that picture of the Mamertine prison? We'll throw that up on the screen. This was no house arrest. This was like, think about a dungeon where you're like underground, Mamertine prison. And Paul spent his final days here before he got beheaded by Nero. And Acts ends with this 
anti, it's like this climax or like cliffhanger. You're like, what happened? And what I want to encourage you is the book of Acts, it's been called Acts of the Apostle, but it also has been called Acts of the Holy Spirit by several scholars, Acts of the Holy Spirit. So why does the book of Acts end with like this cliffhanger, like what happened? What happened to the church? What's the rest of the story? I think the reason why Dr. Luke leads it that way, one is a practical reason. Paul had not finished his life out. It was written to that point. But I think the second point is you guys are a next chapter in salvation history. You guys are the next chapter. So think about it. There's been 2,000 years of next chapters. And right now you're the living chapter of the next chapter of Acts. See, God did not stop moving with Acts chapter 28. He kept moving through church history. He kept moving and changing lives and hearts. So what I visualize for this church, what I see is that collectively as a body of Christ, I think we have potential to change eternities. I, I, I see literally marriages that were breaking apart. I see marriages being healed through you guys, through this church. I see people with drug addictions and struggles finding a place of grace and love, but also a place of truth and being loved through this process and being set free. I see a place where young families come and your kids grow up in this church. And some of you are going to have one or two kids. Some of you are going to have none. Some of you are going to have like a ton of kids. And we're going to see your kids be able to say their first words and take their first steps. And we're going to see them accept Christ and be baptized in this community. Can you see it? I can see it. I, I, I can see senior adults that now you have more time or you should have more time than ever before. You have more wisdom, or at least you should have more wisdom than ever before. You have more resources than ever before. And I see you seeing it from an eternity perspective. I'm going to plant trees that I may not enjoy, but these trees are going to be for the future generation. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sow into eternity. I'm going to sow the gospel. I see teenagers getting called to ministry out of this church. Teenagers, boys and girls, men and women that grow up and God puts a calling of ministry. I see missionaries sent out. See, we are not measured by our seating capacity, but we're measured by our sending capacity. But you know what? It happens in the context of this family. It happens in the context of you guys are the next chapter. You guys are the living chapter of the acts of the Holy Spirit right here in this church. And there's never been a more exciting time than to be a part of God's salvation history. You guys have more resources. There's technology I mean, there's so much available now where you have the potential not just to change a few people's lives, but to change countless lives with the gospel. Are you guys ready for the next chapter? You guys are on the front seats of the living chapter of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to God's plan in this time in this place. Amen. All right, let's close it out. Today's big idea to summarize 30 verses, however many we covered, into one sentence, which is hard. Keep running onwards as Jesus calls your name on the other side of the finish line. All right, Timothy, that sounds good, and I'm, I'm a little pumped right now. I've got to think through what you said, but how do we apply this tomorrow? Like when I'm at work and I do construction and I hit my nail, I hit my finger with a hammer and the nail sticks out and I want to say something I shouldn't, what do I do? Uh, when I have the doctor's appointment and the doctor gives me the diagnosis, I don't want to, what do I do? I'm glad you're asking that. 
The first application is this. Let's go up on the screen. Stay focused on Jesus. When you reach the finish line, before you get there, there's a, there's something known as your last year of high school, your last year of college, your last six months on the job, your last two weeks on the job. You get senior-itis where you just want to quit, right? Frank does HR. You know when the people get their notice and they're like a sitting duck. You might as well go ahead and quit. Your last two weeks, you're not doing anything, collecting a check. But here's the thing. When you see the finish line, you've got to run faster and harder until you cross it. Don't slow down. Don't give up. Don't sit on your blessed assurance. Don't just hold on till Jesus come. We got work to do. Amen. All right. Throw the number two up there. Live like Jesus while you're in this race. Don't compromise the word of your testimony. So here's the thing. We got to stand for the truth as a church. That's true. But individually, this is a call to holiness. This is a call to old school holiness. If we're, if we're claiming to follow Jesus, it's not that we're going to be perfect or have it all together, but we're going to choose not to live any lifestyles of sin. Right. So if you're in a pattern of sin, let us walk with you through that to break it. If you're not married and living together, let us help you get married. If you're in an addiction of drugs or alcohol that you can't break, let us help you. We're here. We're a place of love and grace and truth. So let us walk with you. This is a call to back to holiness, to live like Jesus in the world. And finally, number three. Let's be the next living chapter in God's salvation history. So I want you guys to see your part you play, whether you're a teenager, a young adult, a single, young married, young married with kids, whether you're in your career, whether you're retired, no matter what age or stage, you guys are in front row of the next chapter in the book of Acts. God's living salvation history. Now, your, your, your life's not on the level of Scripture, but it's the testimony that you are testimonies read by all people. So let us be the church that lives on. Let us be the church that stands up for Jesus in a world that needs light so much. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we close this book, we are thankful for all the truth that you've taught us. And God, we know that our lives are not perfect. We know that it's nowhere near the level of scripture, but we are called to be the living church in this day. We're, we're called to participate in the acts of the Holy Spirit. And our lives will never make scripture. The, the Bible's close, but our lives will impact other lives. So God, help us be the next chapter, the living chapter that's read by all so that people see our lives and they want to change because they see Jesus living through us. Imperfect people, but yet forgiven. So I want to talk to believers first. There may be someone here today that you want to take part in the living chapter of salvation history, what God's doing right now. And no, you're not going to make scripture. The Bible is closed, but you are going to make a difference. If that's you, I just want you to stand your feet. I want to say a blessing over you. We're going to do the invitation a little different. Just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. For those who want to make a difference, just stand to your feet. Go ahead right now. Stand up. God. You see those standing. This is our commitment to you. We're imperfect people. We don't have it all together. But God, we want to be the next chapter. We want to be the living church for today. We want to be the bride of Christ, a radiant church that lets her light shine to the world. So please help us. Continue to remain standing. There may be one here today that you've never entered into God's family. And this is the invitation Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And if you'll just open up your heart 
The Bible says He'll come in and He'll have a relationship with you. He will adopt you into His family. But you have to receive what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose the third day. So if you've never invited Jesus to save you right now, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but right now at your seat to say, Jesus, I've never personally invited you to save me. So today, I want to enter into a relationship with you. Today, I want to follow you. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again. And Jesus, I place my faith in you alone. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Just go ahead and tell him he knows about it. Forgive me of all my sins. Take me from death into life. Take away my sins and give me a new start. I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for all those standing. We commit ourselves to what you're doing at this time and this place for such a time as this to be the living church for the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the body of Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, all right, everybody stand as we close out.